Welcome to episode number 72 of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. So today I'm super thrilled to have Mike Luce on the podcast with us today. So once upon a time, Mike was cruising along with a very nice career in analytics, having held roles with some great companies like Market Track, which is now Numerator, Mintel and IRI amongst others. But following the completion of his MBA from the Chicago Booth School, I believe he got bit by the entrepreneurial bug and Mm -hmm. uh, saw a real opportunity as an analytics uh, entrepreneur in a, shall we say, a budding new industry (laughs) with the promise of cultivating high profits for his customers and his company. (laughs) Sorry, Mike had to do it. It's unavoidable. Get it out of the way early. (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk all about Mike's journey and more in today's podcast. Welcome to the show, Mike. Yeah. Thanks for being here. This is going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Super fun. Uh, Really excited to have you. This is a very unique story that you have. So I'm I'm excited to explore that with you and uh, kind of learn about your signposts along the way. So uh, with that, let's, uh, let's go all the way back. Uh, let's, it's always interesting to find out how people actually got into insights in the first place. So let's hear a little bit about your origin story and your journey from there. Uh, well, I wish I had a more elevated story as to how things got started, but it was completely by accident. Yeah. Not planned. Most familiar. <laughs> uh, I needed money to pay my way through school, uh, here at Loyola, where I, finished uh, the last four years of probably what was like a six-year path in total through through college. Uh, and I, I actually got a placement with a temp firm. Mm-hmm. They sent me up to a uh, market research firm, Market Advantage, then became Market Track, then became Numerator, just like you said. Ah, okay. Okay. Uh, and I was on a team of probably 10 people on this crazy project and uh after that was over they kept me and another person and things progressed from there i worked a lot of hours because again i had to right make ends meet literally uh and when i graduated from loyola people were not handing out you know six-figure jobs to people with bas in political science right (laughs) uh so so we took a job there and you know that the, the ball just got rolling um and you know progressed through a series of roles just like you said um got closer and closer to those that i worked with on the client side that were involved in insights and innovation really started getting interested in that um also spent a little time in sort of more of the the analytics side of that equation too uh and um yeah yeah like i said it, it was really more so just out of a series of um, both happy accidents, I guess, right. uh, and a few deliberate moves where I'd gotten, you know, intrigued by enough of the different practices that go into market research, broadly speaking, inclusive of insights, um, that I made my way to, to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I love these stories actually. Um, and there still are quite a few of them out there where, 
hey, you know what, I need a job. Start at the bottom in market research, but then realize, wow, there's really something interesting here. So what what maybe was it that kept you that kept you around? I mean, other than needing a job, right? There. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a great, that? that's a great question. I mean, I I saw early, early on some of the transformation to what we just treat as ho-hum, you know, everyday stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I really first started and took on any kind of meaningful position besides just like banging away in data entry, uh, we were putting together reports using photocopies of the newspaper inserts yeah. along with printout, of, printout reports, package those up and mail them off. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I sort of said to myself, I just can't. This can't, this can't be what I want to do in my life. Well, we, we moved on there to a Windows-based application, and we ha had to, pre-internet, basically, send out um, three-and-a-half-inch floppies mm -hmm. with the updated data uh, for the application. So that was really sort of interesting. And then saw things move online and really start to sort of transition into this world as software as a service, right? Dashboard reporting. And then, and then got into more meaningful conversations with clients as to like, well, what, what are you doing with this data, right? Right. Where does it live within your sort of research and insights space? Mm. Um, and, you know, that, that's progressed over time to where I've been involved in some really interesting projects, yeah. um, both pivoting an existing brand or bringing on the extension of a, you know, a new item in a, in a line um, or launching a you know, brand new innovation and, uh, you know, never have I been at the store and been like, I was the guy like that, that, that was mine. But right. it is cool to see something that you worked on, at least in some small way with a client, in this case, <laughs> sitting at the grocery checkout, right? right. Yeah. Literally, it's like, hey, I know that. I was yeah. working on that for six months. Yeah. Uh, so that that sort of increasing fascination with sort of the the broader world and, and where different pieces come together, um, and and I have a tech bent, you know, sort of a data analytics bent. Um, so seeing sure. what more is possible and the sort of data that continues to explode that you can then figure out novel ways to use, uh, right. has been that's been super interesting too. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in your position, like you're working for great companies, it's intrinsically interesting work. You've got a good career going, uh, working for other people. So tell us a little bit about this uh, notion of becoming an entrepreneur and, and putting up your own shingle. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned my, um, time at Chicago booth. So while um, finishing my MBA there, I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug, right? Uh, like I'm, I'm sure a lot too, going through their, their MBA. Um, at this really unique confluence of, of personal and professional um, interests and, and motivations, where things were headed. Sure. Uh, and, you know, th there's sort of two answers to the question, I guess. Uh, the one was, I, I really struggled with the idea that decisions could be made at you know levels three, four, five above me that then would have such a huge impact on on me, my family, you know, the, the progression of my career. Right. 
it really it just started to drive me nuts. I, I had gone through two of those scenarios and, and probably a number of your listeners or viewers can identify with this. Uh, and the last one, I sort of said to myself, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't handle it. Right. I, I have I have to find a way to either join such a boutique company that everybody's into everything, right? We've all got different hats on. Um, or, and this was where I was more interested getting back to entrepreneurial piece, let me go start my own thing. Mm -hmm. And I cast it around. I mean, on the flip side, I didn't, I wasn't going to go sell cars. Like I, I, I have no idea outside of CPG, retail, et cetera, what I might've gone and done. Sure. Um, I guess I could have gone into teaching or tried to go back to law school or God knows what, but um, I had to do something that looked a little bit similar to CPG, right? Sure. Um, and find myself a, a lane that was really interesting and, and really potentially high growth, right? Mm -hmm. um, and really, at the, I mean, at the end of the day, from a personal perspective, too, I had just started a family. You know, I, I'd gone through this spirit experience and um, had this not pro motivation. And I wanted to find something that even in a small way felt like I was contributing, like I was giving back, right? I was a part of something that was doing good. Um, and I've been watching cannabis for a little while. I was part of the uh, legacy market. If you will. <laughs> legacy market, yep. <laughs> As a younger person, uh, pretty extensively engaged in the legacy market. <laughs> Uh, and in Illinois, it, the, the program for legalization was moving along slowly, but it just so happened they added some conditions um, to the medical program that would allow me access in 2018. Um, so I saw that happening, went to a cannabis conference for the first time in 2017, okay. and it was spilling over into the rest of the hotel, right? right. It, it, it was out into the hallway. There were people everywhere. Yeah, uh, doing all sorts of interesting things. And so I started looking into it. And even at that time, the refrain from many executives, you know, you would read is, we want to become a CPG company, right? We want to be a house of brands. We want to, you know, taking like literally some language from what you might find in a you know, history of P&G, right? Sure. Uh, and applying it to cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things came together. Uh, and again, at the same time, I wanted to try to stay somewhat in my lane, focus a little more on the data and the analytics and try not to just like pick up what I knew over here or what I knew of what could be done and just put it over here. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I knew that from the outset that that was not going to be a path to success. Um, I still think I made a ton of mistakes at the beginning sure. um, and, and in the interim, uh, <laughs> but it, it really did allow me to get in early-ish. Um, if you think people in cannabis age and dog years, which a lot of us, I think, do, um, and make some really valuable mistakes, learn a lot, and really try to identify where I saw some instances where there were deeper learnings to be had, right? Yeah. And 
for whatever reason, it just didn't get there, right? Right. So, so from a survey writing perspective, for example, like, well, what if, what if you could go on and and ask some more questions in a way that speaks to the respondent, a cannabis consumer, right? Then making it feel like a little more of like a survey about toothpaste. So, right. Yeah. That combination of things, I mean, that's a whole host of, of factors, I guess, that, that brought me into the mix, but it was really, it was this combination of professional and personal. And, you know, honestly, I don't think anybody's in cannabis without some degree of that personal story. Right. Um, I am a, uh, I am a big believer personally in the good that it can do for society I haven't taken an Ambien in you know four years, for example, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a tiny little personal anecdote, much less all the other things that we've been able to see across the country. So, um, you know, that opportunity I felt like was fairly unique, and I really felt like I would be kicking myself years later if I didn't go after it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the timing obviously is just seems ideal, uh, and it's called high yield insights, right? It is. Uh, puns being unavoidable. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's way my, my co-founder actually was more of a realist. And he said, you know, Mike, why don't we name it Medium Yield Insights? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel like that really had the level of, you know, <laughs> optimism that you want to bring to the table in an entrepreneurial <laughs> venture. Uh, so yeah, high yield insights it is. And at least fortunately that does connect to some actual, you know, real world time terminology cultivation and investment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how much, uh, so as you think about your business and how you approach it, is it primarily customer research or is there a syndicated aspect to it? Um, what does, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I love examining the various business models that um, have come about or are pivoting or are entering the, the research and insight space, right? Right. And having been on the vendor side, right, I, I have that perspective and I've seen it done a number of different ways. Um, and my first thought was there was this gap in... Um, consumer insights research that would be more broadly accessible, right? To those in the industry, looking at the industry, con concerned about maybe good, bad, otherwise, right? For those that are adjacent to, but from big brands, all of those sorts sure. of things. Um, and so to answer your question, I felt like there was this opportunity for syndicated cannabis consumer insights report. I was totally wrong. There was no appetite for that whatsoever. Interesting. <laughs> so I, I really missed that in the sense that at least at that time, the, the need on the cannabis side, I felt like was, um, it didn't encompass that type of, of research, that type of resource, let's say that. Yeah, uh, right. And the need and sort of the, the middle ground where you might be working with agencies uh, to help them plus up work for their clients, right? And we see that in the syndicated world, so, you know, sometimes as well, particularly around those report publishers, sure. um, or in selling research to, again, those sort of adjacent companies, right? 
Um, and we did do some work right off the bat with a, a huge international beer, wine, spirits company, which was great. Um, one of the biggest um, multi-state operators in cannabis based here in Chicago, but it just wasn't the same level of uh, success you know, that, I, that I'd hoped for. Sure. Um, revisited the syndicated model a little bit uh, with a series of reports on the CBD consumer in 2021. Okay. So at that stage, I realized this is really more of uh, you know, almost sort of content marketing, right? Where anything that comes about via the reports is, is gravy, which was which was great, um, and led to a number of custom engagements, and that's the bulk now of of what I do, right? Um, the IP around the um, the insights, and particularly on the in the quant side, is between my ears, right? Right. Um, because I've learned, okay, this. This is how we need to set up and ask questions, right? Um, in order to get at what it is we really want to know and not just get some surface level answers, right? Sure. Um, so it's great. So it has, I got some methodologies in my back pocket around sampling, around that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the actual like work and the digging, all of that is, is done on a custom basis. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, like you said, I mean, it shares some things in common with, let's say, like the CPG, where brand, brand is, you know, potentially very important. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that it lacks, like a structure around the data, right? So you're not, you don't have scanner data that's available to you to understand all those sorts of things. So uh, as you think about sort of where it's at in early days uh, and maybe where it's going to be, uh, you know, yeah, no, it's a great question. What does it look like? There's probably more there than people would guess. Okay. Uh, so there are uh, great companies, Headset, BDSA, Brightfield, you know, a, a number that um, entered into the market much earlier than I did. Um, that, for example, the, the, you know, the, the BDSAs and headsets are the IRIs and Nielsen's, Brightfield somewhat to that, somewhat along those lines as well. But maybe if you don't have any frame of reference in the spins-esque, um, so there's definitely some of those like blocking and tackling, uh, vendors that are, that are in place, which, which is great, right? Because you, you need that underpinning, um, and they then can build on that and do, do more things. Um, but it's, it's not the same as what we see when we come into a conference room with the client and there's you know, two people from here and one person from over there and three persons, right. right? But that's actually where I hope we go because we can't all do everything, right? Right. People specialize for a reason. Mm. Um, and some of the most successful projects I was involved in on the CPG side, you know, we were working hip to hip with competitors at times. Sure. And this was our lane, this was their lane. Mm -hmm. And if we could pull together everybody, we get a fantastic result. But right now it's it's just a little muddy in cannabis, right? Yeah, understandably so. Incredibly dynamic, incredibly fragmented, even so today. Um, but I would love to see us see us get there. Um, in part because I think just in general, and it's at least in market research anyway, partners are gonna win, partnerships are gonna are gonna win out, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be true. Um, I think it's really going to be true from a market research perspective, you know, in, in, in cannabis where you can pull together different 
assets, skill sets, expertise, um, even just points of view, right? Right. Uh, and and arrive at you know the dreaded holistic cliche. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> understanding of what it is you're, you're really trying to get after from an insights perspective. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because I, uh, believe it or not, I don't know a lot about the market and the structure of the market and all that sort of thing. Um, and How could you not? I mean, you're a rock and roll podcast. <laughs> you know all about it. It's just never been my thing. I mean, I've been around it a lot, but it's just never <laughs> been my thing. But, um, but uh, you know, I'm open to it. It's all, all good. Uh, so, but coming in from the outside, like even from a research standpoint, if I'm, if I'm, a, let's say, a company and I want to get into this space and I want to develop product for the space, et cetera, um, I wouldn't really know where to start. So it is gratifying. It's it's good to know that there are people like you that have already done all of that work. Yeah, You can probably be a one-stop shop to say, you know, if I say, where do I start? Yeah. What do I need to know? Um, I could go to you, right? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. So some of the first engagements in um, 2018 that came about really just came about because people saw that I had spent time in Mintel and IRI, along with my co-founder. Yeah, yep. He's sort of in the background now. Um, and those were with people from CPG who had taken you know, leadership positions at cannabis brands, right? Right, right. Figured out over here. Yeah. Um, and people in CPG who were trying to help you know, their business understand what, what does this mean from a legalization perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and what I came to find out is that almost any CPG has got someone somewhere tracking what's happening in cannabis. Even if it's yeah. like a skunk works. Yep. I in the way basement somewhere right <laughs> they have to be able to track this similarly though and, and here's where i've gotten actually some business recently and you know maybe a, a touch of a pivot for me um there's this middle ground and i think to your point about where do i start that sort of thing where research agencies of any size um, that have been working with those types of clients, the CPG, retail, food service, right? Yeah. Um, in general, know little to, to nothing about cannabis as they sure. might like to anyway, right? Um, and what I have found is that I can, I can really provide value just in a, just in a personal way, in a, an informal way, by giving people a, a landscape of here's what's out there. Yeah. Right? Um, sure, I'd love for you to work with me, but I'm not a be all end all, right? Right. Uh, and let me give you a few suggestions as to who, how to go look at some things. And then of course, I can put you together with some people right after you kind of get a sense of what you might need. Um, and that's been, that's been tremendous, right? And that just, yeah it creates really great relationships because people hear you say, well, you're not selling me on anything necessarily. You're just helping yeah. me widen the aperture as to what it is that I can understand around the market research landscape. Uh, yeah. And I'm starting to fold that into some of my presentations incidentally. Right. So yeah, it's not all about, it's not all about me. Right. I, I mean, I occupy a tiny little corner in the sandbox, but I, I, I think that's been, that's been really fun then too. Yeah. Right. Is to, you know, I don't, I don't think 
adding the high yield insights logo to a client deliverable from a, another agency is going to move the needle necessarily. I'm yeah. having my name attached. I don't, I don't, I'm more humble than to think that, but, sure. um, but it has been really interesting to see these couple of signals go up to where, you know, my contribution from sort of a private label perspective, right. Yeah. To plus up existing work that's being done yeah. or just help the research company be able to give really good answers to questions when clients come to them and ask about cannabis. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Because the, the, you know, you're an AE talking to your client and they say, Hey, we're going to do this cannabis study. You don't want to be. Yeah. So that's been fun too. That's actually been, that's actually been really fun. And it's a great sort of share out like learning opportunity. Right. Um, uh, charging for it maybe is a whole yeah. other matter, but, uh, well, there's, there's a huge value here in translation, right? Because you yeah. know, people who understand, let's say, brand building or marketing or insights in this classic way, and then you've got this space that they know is so important to the business, everybody's talking about it, uh, but they understand it to be the wild, wild west. What is this group in the middle that connects right. these two? How can, I, how can I wrap my head around it? And there's, there's just tremendous value in that that middle piece. So right. middle yield insights. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. Okay. All right. Good stuff. So, uh, so with that, like curious to know, I mean, this is it's a podcast, right? This is media. Yeah. Um, so as you think about your business or even outside your business, what do you turn to for, insight or inspiration or enjoyment yeah um in terms of enjoyment do you know anyone who watches like the first half of movies over and over <laughs> the first you don't want to know what happens at the end no of movies you've already seen uh yeah sure sure yeah that, i don't know maybe maybe <laughs> it's not a thing but but there are certain movies I just, if I see it on and it's usually like midnight, I will watch the first half of the movie every time. And it's probably a movie I've seen, you know, like a dozen times. <laughs> uh, I don't know why it's just sort of soothing, helps me sort of, you know, escape, relax. Uh, and so that, that would be one piece. It's personal. <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> Uh, I do spend a lot of time reading kids' books. I have a six-year-old Charlie and a two-year-old Ethan. Oh, uh, Charlie's kind of getting into like, um, I don't know, like a little bit of like mystery adventure books. Yeah, so sure. Awesome, right? Ethan's still reading, you know, the big red ball and the little pea and the, you know, all, yeah. all these books that I now have memorized. Uh, so I spent a fair amount of time doing that uh and have then you, do, do you have the magic tree house in the in the oh house? yeah oh yeah, absolutely yeah oh, yeah great oh. stuff <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got books that have gone through you know like two generations at this stage right yeah uh, that's great. richard scary's uh cars and trucks and things that go oh that's yeah awesome. yeah that's yeah. definitely it was a staple of my childhood for sure <laughs> i tried to uh misplace it at some stage <laughs> and failed 
Charlie called me on it. It was a couple years ago. Like, no, Dad, we still have it. Uh, oh, and then, but the last piece is I I love to to read. I've always always been a big reader. Um, I've always been really interested in um, history, um, but but increasingly over I don't know for a while. Uh, and this is kind of in keeping with what I have said earlier about my, my personal interest in, in research and insights um, is understanding the consumer behavior, right? Especially understanding what may lead to decisions, what may drive behavior that is somewhat inaccessible to us as consumers, right? Because right. it's based on you know what you hear system one thinking mm-hmm. biases right these others so yeah. this is a uh, this is a snapshot this is not actually my office I'm talking to you from upstairs but but this is what my office looks like uh, and it's just wall to wall books I've got more over there um, I, I'll never read all of them in my lifetime I, I'll just I have to recognize that. But, you know, I just think it's really, really interesting. I think like a lot of people, you know, people saw like Tipping Point and Outliers and stuff from Malcolm Gladwell. And and that sort of wet my interest uh, in in that type of writing um, Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to think of it as far as your own decisions are concerned, right? Like that's a whole different deal. Yep. Um, But if you can kind of keep that lens on... When you think about, okay, how do we understand what it is that, that people do and how much is it that they can even access to then tell you what it is yep. that they're thinking about when they make decisions, you know, easy one being purchase decisions. That, that is just fascinating to me. I just think that's, I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said something interesting there. It's like, you can you can be the third party and sort of observe these, these phenomena and describe them uh, when you're looking at other consumers. Right. But then to, but then to turn the the lens on yourself is much harder to do. Right. You're like, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't affect me that way. I see it happen all day long professionally, but no, it doesn't doesn't get away with me. (laughs) I never fall victim to the sunk cost fallacy. I never just keep doing something because I've yeah. spent so much time starting. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, you do. Unfortunately, right? Happens all the time. Yeah. Cool. Awesome stuff. All right. So, so you said it earlier. This is this is rock and roll, right, Mike? It is rock and roll after all. Uh, so we got to get to it. Um, so, what I really want to know. This all been very interesting, right? <laughs> a lot, really cool stuff. Um, but what I want to know, what makes you tick, Mike? So you're stranded on a desert island. You've got three records of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are those records going to be? Uh, the first one's easy. It's my favorite album of all time. Uh, it's Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys. Oh, yes. Yes. I, mean, I had that thing on. True tape. classic when I was in high school, uh, <laughs> just awesome. And you can listen to it like all the way through, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, I'm one of those people who kind of cherry pick songs, but that whole album is awesome. Um, uh, 
I'm going to cheat and give you an answer that's actually a double disc. Okay. Uh, so Almond Brothers at Fillmore East would be ah. a, uh, It's a live performance from a, uh, the early, early 70s, I think. Um, it's something like two and a half hours. Yeah, um, it's just uh, one really long record. That's cool. That's, that's yeah, cool. Kinda, that right. Uh, whipping post of song of theirs goes on for like 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've got a lot of time to fill. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see your strategy. I see the way it's working. It makes sense. Okay. Uh, right. And then, and then last one, I, I was actually going to like get with it and, and uh, wear this old t-shirt from my favorite band, rock and roll band anyway. Right. Band of Horses. Band of Horses. Oh, actually, okay. you disappear when you put it up because of the, the Zoom thing, but oh, Band okay. of Horses. Okay. So, uh, but it's a size medium. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, post-COVID, I don't wear a size medium anymore. <laughs> Not in being, like, Everything's pointing to medium. Medium yeah, here. Yeah. I mean, mid-40s probably is hard. Uh, but Band of Horses, <laughs> their first studio album called Everything All the Time. Okay. It's an amazing album. Um, I've seen them live a number of times. They're just awesome. Uh, so that would definitely be my third Excellent. Great choices. Um, I could tell you one of those three has been mentioned a few times already on the podcast, and that's Paul's Boutique. No kidding. Well, that's beasties, awesome. beasties are, you know, I have to, after about uh, 35 episodes, I actually quantified all of the mentions because I'm like, hey, I get three per episode. Yeah. Um, this is quantifiable data. Uh, sure. I'm, it's a research podcast. So I got to get to it. Um, yeah. I need to catch up on it, but I know that Paul's boutique has come up a couple of times. So you're okay, in good company. Good. <laughs> travelers out there. I like it. <laughs> That's right. And a great choice. So Mike, this has been a, a great chat. Um, really interesting stuff. I can't wait to see what you're doing next. Uh, let's definitely stay in touch. I want to see how your, your company uh, builds out. And I'm just so curious how, how this whole space unfolds. So appreciate it so much. Let's talk soon. Thank you, bro.